actually had a an all-day birthday thing to attend to, so I decided why not just call this off, have us do some trilobites. I haven't done one in a while, so I figure it might be fun to do one. Uh, so today, actually, well, Monday, really, um, there was a panel at um, at Carnegie Hall, and it include it included um, Grandmaster Flash. Uh, the father of hip hop, technically speaking. Um, I can't remember for the life of me her name. It's some long three part name, but someone who's had stints with Hole and Smashing Pumpkins. Um, Melissa off something, something, something. I- I'm sure you'll shoot me because I don't know this, but, um, her, some, uh, some online personality who's done like a lot of, uh, online video, um, she, I, I guess, one of her shows is called TMI, uh, or whatever. And then Kristin, who is one of the composers for the Civilization franchise and has done a lot of other video game comp- compositions. And then, uh, Alex Rogopoulos from Harmonix. And it was moderated by, of all people, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy. And, um, this panel was basically just on discussing the revolution between, uh, the revolution happening between games and game music and just music in general. It, it was a pretty uh, interesting thing to sit through. Um, Got to be honest, Pete Wentz kind of interrupted people speaking in the middle of while they were trying to say what they were trying to say, and that was a little bit annoying. But otherwise, you know, they had some interesting things to say. Um, they addressed topics such as, um, you know, I guess I wrote a I wrote a um, a column on this before on Try Games, and I also posted it on GameSpot and uh, my other blog, but. I don't know how many of you remember, but when Prince basically said, that's all nice and good, but I'd rather not put my music to this game because I think that kids are better served by learning the real instrument. Or he said something like that. He said, basically, I think it's more important that kids learn guitar. They touched on that topic, um, and they had a really a lot of good things to say about, you know, um, playing these games gives you exposure to music that you wouldn't otherwise have have had exposure to and from um grandmaster flash's perspective because no one really understands uh, at least no one in the mainstream or people who go to clubs or whatever they see DJs DJing but they don't know what they do they don't understand what they do and so he's he he was saying that you know DJ Hero at least gives you the basics of appreciating what a DJ actually does on the turntables. Now, granted, you know, I'm pretty sure Activision prepped him really well for this appearance. I'm pretty sure PR is really happy with him right now, but it does, it does ring true. It's not false, you know. And while, you know, while, while in my column I contended that, you know, no, playing guitar hero is not like playing real guitar, it still kind of gives you an appreciation for the level of I guess dexterity needed to learn the instrument, and while you don't have to go through years and years of practice to get good at Guitar Hero, it still gives you that that inkling of this is kind of what they have to do to get it right. This is kind of how they have to have rhythmic skill, and also something that uh, Regopolis brought up, especially with the Beatles Rock Band, is what he said. He said that while they were working on one of the Beatles songs, there was this bass line that Regopolis had never really paid attention to just listening to the Beatles for this one certain song, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was. But as he was going through and perfecting this song, like he listened to it and he's like, wow, I never would have discovered the way this bass line sounds without having to encode it in Rock Band 
and then having without having to you know play it on on the baseline you know so that's something that I didn't think about when I was writing the column and that's a really good point is that you know y- you have this music that you kind of like and and what I basically said was that I didn't like very many genres of music I like classical and hip hop but going into rock band and guitar hero it opened me up because I was experiencing the music in a medium that I personally could appreciate and knew how to appreciate and basically what Rogopolis said takes it one step further in saying that not only do you appreciate the music because you're doing it in a medium that you like, but there are opportunities to hear things that you haven't heard before because maybe you're playing the bass line in the band and you hear this thing that sounds really cool. And a lot of times people don't really listen to the bass line when you're listening to music unless you really, really take a deep dive and try to appreciate it. So there are some good things said about that. Um... Some things about how uh, Chris Tin was talking about how with different comp- uh, composing between music for video games and music for movies. And, and, and to me, um, for me personally, the line is kind of blurred simply because technology has enabled composers to work with, you know, orchestrated instrumentation and, you know, high quality sound such that, well, when you listen to the soundtracks, you know, you can get a just an epic, uh, just as epic sounding a soundtrack on a video game as you can on a movie, but his key differentiator was just you know working with still working with the, with the technology, and that's kind of where I was thinking about it before, where a composer for a movie in let's say 1988 had the tools, had the orchestra, had whatever, but a composer trying to write music for an NES game was limited to that square wave, that whatever, that you know that limited chipset that the Nintendo had, and so they had to find innovative ways of composing music that sounded good. Not only that, but due to the limitations of whatever they were working with before, and, and I'll take it back to like 85, I can't remember which composer said this, but he basically said, you know, it was less about composing music and more about understanding the assembler code or the coding behind the chip and then finding something that mathematically made sense. A lot of music is math, actually, when you think about it, and it's funny because I'm terrible at math, but I like to think that I'm pretty decent at musically. So, anyway, so um, Kristen had something to say about that, about technology that you work with, like how sometimes in different situations you have to create music that loops. For example, in Zelda, when you're on the outworld, on the overworld map, you don't know how long you're going to be there for, so you can't create a, a piece of a definite length that has a beginning and an end. You have to create something that was able to loop back into it back into itself. Um, Grandmaster Flash had something to say about how, like, you have, you basically only have a a couple of seconds, let's say 60 seconds, to really grab the listener's ears, and so you have to make an impact more immediately than you did in the past, and, uh, Rigopolis actually had, um, a supplement to say to that about, about, like, how this, in this age, maybe it wasn't Rigopolis, maybe it was someone else, but how in this age of you being able to access music online and listen from the beginning of a song, whereas back in the 80s and the early 90s, when you'd listen to new music on the radio, you turn on the radio and you might stumble upon the music in the middle of the song, in the chorus or the most catchy part, you know, that might be like, yeah, you, you listen to it and you're like, yeah, immediately you kind of get the song, but nowadays you go onto iTunes or, or, or you listen to music online and you start from the beginning, and if the beginning doesn't kind of catch you because of the short attention span of today's people, Twitter, okay, that's anybody who reads Twitters and doesn't read blogs or anything else has a short attention span. I mean, think about that, right? 
So uh, someone with a short attention span listening to the beginning of the song and the beginning of the song doesn't really grab you immediately, they're going to dismiss it. And so people have to not only write video game music, but all music to kind of catch someone at the beginning. Personally, I think it's kind of sad, but that's just me. Um, and so it was an interesting, it was a really interesting discussion. Um, after that, there was an after party at the Nintendo World Store. Um, and they had Beatles Rock Band for Wii out there, the Guitar Hero 5 for Wii out there, and I had actually never played Guitar Hero 5 yet, so it's really funny going, because I've been playing Rock Band almost weekly because of um, the events that they hold at the Village Poor House in New York, uh, downtown New York in the East Village, but I mostly play on the higher frets, where your fingers don't have to stretch so much. And it had been so long since I had played a Guitar Hero game that when I picked up, I played Sweating Bullets by Megadeth um, in Guitar Hero 5. And when I tried to do all those chords, like I did it, but my hand started hurting like a minute through. And it was just like, wow, I haven't touched Guitar Hero in this long that, you know, it's painful. And mind you, I do have a Guitar Hero Metallica and Guitar Hero World Tour, but I play those with the Rock Band guitar because I like the higher frets. Case in point, you know, my hands were hurting. Um, and then we went upstairs to try um, Band Hero, which is basically Guitar Hero, but with songs that are more geared towards like pop music and, and band music. Because Guitar Hero World Tour and Guitar Hero 5 are still very guitar-oriented, even though they let you do the full band. So that was basically their way of saying, fuck you, rock band, we're going to do our own thing that's based on pop music, and like we'll compete with you. Whatever. Um, and what do we expect? It's it's Guitar Hero, just with more poppy music. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that. Um, it was Rock Band. It was Guitar Hero. It's the same thing. Um, just marketed at a different set. Um, I will say that the TVs that we played on in the Nintendo World Store, the lag was horrible for Band Hero. Surprisingly, not for Guitar Hero 5 or Rock Band Beatles, Beatles Rock Band, but wow, for for... For Band Hero, it was terrible, and maybe it was just the TVs they used at, at the time, but whatever. Um, it was, all in all, it was a cool event. Um, not much new was said during the panel, but there were some gems, like the ones I just spoke about, you know, for the past, what, whatever, eight, nine minutes. Um, and then getting to go to the Nintendo World Store and getting free vodka, that was pretty good, too. And I will have to shout out my friend uh, Megu for scoring those tickets to the event in the first place. Uh, she had won some sort of gamer contest in which they gave her tickets, so that was pretty cool. Thanks, Megu, for that. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Band Hero, uh, Beatles Rock Band, because I heard of five. Uh, what else I've been playing? I have been reviewing this title called Undead Nights for the PSP. And this was one of the titles, I believe, according to Al, he told me, uh, the Antipode, as he is known on the podcast, uh, but he had told me that uh, Tecmo accidentally released a full version on PSN as a downloadable demo. <laughs> they pulled that off right away. Anyway, on to the game itself. Um, I liken it to, uh, I would say, a Dynasty Warriors clone with the ability to turn the people you're fighting against into your own controlled zombies. So, um, I'm personally thinking, and this could be an assumption that I'm making, and I certainly won't put this in the final review because I don't want to assume without getting the facts straight. But I, I, I like to think that Tecmo basically saw Overlord and Pikmin and thought, why don't we make a zombie game where it's hack and slash, but you can build an army of your own and have them under your control. 
Now the concept is really cool. I actually really like the concept. And the first time I I, I dove into the first stage, right, I was like, you know what, this is kind of cool. You know, I'm I'm slashing away at these poor motherfuckers, and I'm grabbing them and I'm turning them to in, into zombies. And so now I have this whole army at my disposal. But at the end of the day, I shouldn't say at the end of the day because I'm 11 chapters in, 11 out of 20, so I'm about a little over halfway through. But as far as I've seen. That zombie mechanic ceases to be, um, it ceases to be interesting once you put about an hour or two into it. Because at the end of the day, you're just building up an army of dummies. And they really don't have that great of an effect on, on, on you fighting. Like, something, okay, so I'll admit, I never played Overlord, but I heard it's very much like Pikmin, okay? And I have played Pikmin a lot. And so, at the very least, you could control where your things are going, what they're supposed to do, and how they're supposed to do it, in some sense, right? In Undead Knights, yeah, you can throw your zombies on other enemies, but the most that you get out of them is there are certain things in each stage that may be like a barricade, or a catapult, or a soldier throwing a flaming barrel at you, something like that. Bottom line is that there's some sort of insurmountable obstacle that you need to use your zombies for. And so basically what the level design ends up coming down to is, here's a kill room, here's a bunch of soldiers. Turn them into zombies. Now use those zombies to take down that barricade. Okay, you've taken down the barricade, move on to the next kill zone. Oh look, there are more soldiers. There are more zombies that you can make. Alright, now use those zombies to take off, take out the archer blinds. You know, take out the archer towers so that they can't snipe at you. Okay, once you've done that, now use the zombies to take down uh, this this siege machine. Okay, and and, and realistically, um, and that's not actually not the right word to use, but but really, all you're really doing is holding down the, looking at a target and holding down the R button. And there's no, I guess there's just no intrigue about like different zombies do different things, or you have to time how you use your zombies, or, you know what I mean? It, it, it's basically dynasty warriors with the ability to throw some undead dude at some guy that you're trying to beat. And it's really disappointing because they could have gone so war- I, Imagine this. Here's what I'm thinking as, as, as I play this game. Imagine um, God of War, okay, with the ability to turn certain enemies into things that do your bidding, okay? Now, God of War is far from Dynasty Warriors. Yes, it's a little bit button-mashy at points, although I contend that there is some technique to it if you want to get the fullest out of the game. That's totally up to you. But there is, you know, it's not Dynasty Warriors. A million guys aren't coming your way. And there's a somewhat uh, decent emphasis on puzzle solving. Maybe not so much in the PSP version. And maybe the puzzles aren't that in-depth, but there is, there is some focus on, you know, figuring out this level. And so imagine you being able to take some certain enemies and turning them into your undead and using those certain enemies to your, you know, to your bidding. And not all zombie X's do the same thing as zombie Y's. So at least you have some kind of thought that goes into it. This is really just killing room. Get zombies, use zombies, killing room, killing room, killing room. Uh, and the other thing about this that bugs me is um, the the writing in it. And I know that story is not a big part of my whole personal preference, but um, it kind of does detract from the experience in this case. I'll give you an example, okay? So here's the basic story of the game is that um, 
there's this kingdom, and the king marries this young, uh, buxom lass. And I say buxom because it's Tecmo, and you know, they gave her big titties, you know, whatever. Good taste, bad taste, whatever. I'm not gonna, you know, judge that. My opinion is bad taste, but whatever. Anyway, so he marries her, and she, you know, he makes decisions about his kingdom, half the time deferring to her. Okay, so, whatever. Things seem all great, but then, you know, there's a certain loyal faction of the king, uh, these soldiers that have served under this king for a long time, that feel that there's a problem with this. They they, they don't think that she's het- leading the kingdom into the correct direction, and they're skeptical about her purposes, her intentions, whatever they may be. And the king hears of this, and he sends his best soldiers, aside from them, to kill them. Now, some spirit rises, raises them from the dead, not unlike Soul Reaver, where um, where Raziel is raised from the dead to avenge his own whatever, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, these three uh, protagonists of the story, uh, and you can select from them, they like one's slow but powerful, one's really fast but weak, and then one has long range but is, sl- is also kind of slow. Typical brawler type shit. Um, so he raises them from the dead and they set about their, uh, their vengeance. Okay. Simple story. Nothing great. It's kind of stupid, but whatever. It serves a purpose. Now, all the people, well, at least most of the people that you fight, some of them are honorable, some of them aren't. But the bottom line is they're, they're people from the kingdom that you're fighting and they are all voiced sort of dramatically, not, not too melodramatic. But melodramatic enough for what I'm about to tell you in a couple of seconds. But they're a voice like sort of media uh, in the middle of the road, melodramatically, with with you know the, the the typical British accents that you have from you know, and I know that's a terrible British accent. I'm sorry, British listeners, it's terrible. But you know, with the with the accents that that kind of emphasize that hey, we're in the medieval era. These are knights and dragons and what there are no dragons in the game, but these are knights we're talking about, and so they have to sound British. Go figure. So they're voiced that way, but your characters are are voiced like really contemporary. So I'll give you this one example from a cutscene. Okay, so my guy is going up to one of the noble knights who like serves his king loyally and actually was partially responsible for the death of your three protagonists, but reluctantly so. And so he's saying, like, you know, oh, the reason why I did this is because, you know, I serve the king and I, um, blah, 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 this. And, you know, it is my duty as a knight to serve his order and, um, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he goes, I apologize for doing what I did, but it had to be done. If you slay me today in this fight, will this end your, your endless rampage for, for, for vengeance? You know, will this, Will this stop you from slaughtering more innocents in this kingdom? Well, that's kind of how he sounds. My guy, my protagonist, his response is verbatim, uh, no, I'm gonna fuck you up, and then I'm gonna do the same to Fatima. Fatima is the queen in this game. She's the one who's with the the big titties and influencing the king. Now, think about that for a second. You've got this kind of British-sounding, like, stoic, um, sort of melodramatic, uh, uh, Knight talking to this guy saying, like, here's whatever, this is how I'm written. I'm, my dialogue is written kind of melodramatically. Um, but you know, it, it fits within the medieval setting. And then your guy goes, uh, no, dude, I'm gonna fuck you up. No, I'm sorry, that doesn't play. That does not play, does not make sense. Um, it's like the profanity kind of came out of nowhere. 
even though it kind of didn't because here's another thing is that they, they just in the in the context of everything else that happens and the cutscenes and the way that the game goes like your protagonist just belt out random acts of profanity when you do your special move. Okay, the first guy, the 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 guy, the heavy knight, the one who does a lot of damage but is slow. Okay, when you do his special move, he goes, "Burn, motherfuckers, burn." Okay, all right. Then you've got the girl, um, who is the wife of the knight's younger brother. She goes like something like, "All you," uh, I can't remember verbatim, but she says something like, "Um." You stupid fuckers are all gonna die, or something like that. Okay, and then the guy that I use the most, the fastest one with the weakest uh, uh, attacks, but he's the fastest one. He goes, "All you pussies are mine." Really, really, is that necessary? And the thing is that this could be kind of an intentional comedy thing on the part of Tecmo's localization team, because there are achievements in this game where if you do certain acts, like kill a hundred soldiers or whatever, they 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 give you a what what they call a title, not an achievement, but a title. But it's the same. It's the same thing. And some of them are funny. Like one of them is uh, "Tiny's my bitch," and that's attained if you um, manage to turn an executioner, which is a large enemy, very large enemy, very powerful enemy, kind of like a mini boss. If you manage to turn him into a zombie, you get the title "Tiny's my bitch." That's kind of funny. Um, so. I don't know. Maybe it's intention. Maybe it's intentional on Tecmo's part. But while the achievement names are funny to me, somehow, like when 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 the voice actors spit out these really stupid lines in this really like punk American white kid uh, voice, compared to the stoic, medieval nature of everybody else, or sniveling, but whatever, whatever you may. Want to call it? It's medieval versus just like stupid American punk kid, okay? And, and then you add in the the vulgarities or the profanities that are just kind of that seem to be thrown there, thrown in there just just for good measure, just because it's funny. It doesn't work, and so you know you combine that stupid presentation with the kind of drab kill box gameplay. Um, and kind of lost potential with the zombie things. Again, I have like nine more chapters to go, so I'm not calling a judgment on this right now, but through 11 chapters so far, it's been a big disappointment. Um, oh, and then there are other stupid presentational things like soldiers appearing out of thin air. Now, I understand that they have to give you a steady stream of soldiers that, because there are some, like I said, there are some parts of the stage that require you to call your zombies on, on an obstacle or whatever to past the area. So if they don't leave you with enough soldiers to make zombies, obviously you're stuck in the game if the zombies happen to be taken down and defeated and whatnot. So they have to give you an an infinite stream of soldiers. Well, here's how Call of Duty handled that, okay? Yes, there are terrible points where you can see soldiers spawning out of nowhere, but Call of Duty manages to mask that well. Um... Soldiers are going to spawn inside of a house, but you're never going to see it. Once you go inside that house, you're never going to see the soldier spawn from nowhere. They're always going to have the spawn points come from somewhere where you can't see it. God of War, okay? God of War has enemies that technically spawn in from nowhere, but it fits within the fiction because they're coming from, like, hell or some shit like that. And so a portal opens up, and the enemy comes in. That's kind of believable. In this game, they literally appear out of thin air. Like, you can go into the corner 
of a kill box of one of the of one of the areas in, in in the stage, you can just go into a corner, stare at the corner, and magically some soldier in yellow clad armor will just materialize out of nowhere. That's really sloppy. That is incredibly sloppy. Then there's other shit like when you're trying to pass an area and it's blocked by a barricade, basically what you have to do is, you know, you, you kill certain enemies to unlock the barricade. Well, once you defeat that last soldier, the barricade just comes crumbling down for no reason. Okay? Now, again, this is a nitpick. This is a presentational thing. God of War handles it by saying there's a magical barrier that gets put up when these enemies come on screen and you have to defeat them. And, and when you defeat them, the magical barrier gets broken. But... They could have just done the same thing for this game, but it, they were like, no, we're just going to have this barricade up here, and when you defeat the last soldier, inexplicably, it'll fall down. I don't know. Maybe that last soldier had, like, a screw and was holding onto the screw by a string, and once he died, that string got yanked and the thing came down. I don't know. It's stupid. And it's like, it's it's one of those things that it's not a big deal when, when you're talking about it from a gameplay perspective, but it's one of those things where you can kind of see the care that went into making the game and the lack of care extended to like other things such as collision detection or level design or camera or whatever so it's like it, it, you know one thing kind of reveals the intentions of the other. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe they spent a lot more time on the camera and the combat and whatever and didn't spend so much time on just the presentation. Well, if they did spend a lot of time on that other stuff, well, I gotta tell you, that's time poorly spent, time wasted, because it's not that great. I will say this. If you like Dynasty Warriors games and you really don't give a shit about the fine-tuning and you just want to hack and slash your way through fields and fields of soldiers... Um, this is an interesting twist on that game. But it doesn't take it far enough to make it something like, oh my god, this is so different. And in my opinion, like right now, as it stands, maybe the last nine chapters will change my mind. But right now, I it, it's hard for me to actually be able to recommend this or even sit through this game. It's not terrible, but it's just... It's just tedious. It's plain. It's unremarkable past that first hour of, oh, I could throw zombies at things. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of unremarkable and there's nothing to it that, that, that makes it stand out past that first hour and that fascination of being able to have those zombies. So while I'm not, you know, saying that, while I'm not, not recommending it right now, because again, I haven't finished the game, um, through 11 chapters, I'm finding it hard for me to stick with it and, uh, bear in mind that this is coming from the perspective of a reviewer who has to play a game hours on end and finish it before he can write their review. So I realize that my viewpoint is a little bit slanted. You know, having to sit through a game for several hours, a game such as this, is very hard to do. So taken in short spurts, it might be adequate, but I, I, I wouldn't presume to think so. I just, you know, I would caution you. Wait, wait till I finish it. Maybe, maybe things will turn up. Anyway, um, that's all I've been really playing that's new since our last podcast. Um, I have been dabbling into a bit of Grid, which I, which I like. And, and the reason why I'm so behind on Grid is because I never would have thought to play it, except that it came up on Steam for five bucks. Come on, five bucks. You got a computer that can handle it with like 
16 times full scene anti-aliasing just to show off your rig. Why not? And it's a, it's a pretty interesting racing game. It's accessible. I'm a terrible driver and I'm a terrible racing game player. Like I, I can't do shit in Forza. Like my limit is Project Gotham and this one is accessible enough that you can kind of, you know, get your way through it even without being a pro. And they have this crate rewind feature that's also in Forza, except in this game, you know, it's like, look, we can only give you them for four times. You can't use the rewind feature infinitely. And I like that because in Forza, Pete said this on the last podcast, and I totally agree with him. It's about willpower, I understand that, but if you give us a rewind button that can be infinitely used, we're going to use it. And that basically sucks all the challenge out of the game. So I like that grid limits you. Grid also looks fantastic on my PC, and it, you know, I can't speak for how it looks on the console, I'm sure it looks great, but running at, you know, 10, uh, 12 by 10, with everything turned all the way up, and it running at almost 60 frames a second is, uh, well, I should, uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe around 30, but still, it looks great. Um, I've also been trying to stick with Scribble Knots. It's, really, I, I'm really disappointed in this game. What Pete said before was right on. What Pete and I discussed on episode 150 is right on. What, uh, what people on the giant bombcast are saying about the game is right on. Um, it's just, it gets to the point where some puzzles, you might want to think through them and use your imagination. But after like the seventh try or the eighth try, you just get fed up and all you want to do is say, I'm going to make a chopper, I'm going to make a rope, and I'm going to attach it to the guy, and I'm going to take where it needs to go. And that's all I want to do. And that's sad. Like, I, I, I fully believe that they could have come up with more inventive levels that were more, what's the word, uh, intuitive to kind of figure out. To, to not just say, I'm just going to do this helicopter rope, or I'm just going to do jetpack rope, or jetpack handcuff, or whatever, but really have levels where, like, you can actually... And, and, and before I go on, maybe they thought they had it. Maybe they thought they had it. But the problem is partially the controls, which is what Pete said, and partially the physics, which is what I noted. That there's this one level that I believe I talked about in the podcast where you had to reunite a penguin with its family. And the penguin was on its own little island. Family was on the other side. There's a killer whale, an orca, swimming in the ocean below. And it's like, all right, well, this is kind of easy. All I need to do is create a bridge, walk across, and take the penguin with me. Simple enough. Only the penguin didn't follow me. So I said, okay, I will tempt it with a fish, because it likes to eat fish. That's what penguins eat. Um, so I built a bridge. I walked across put a fish down. I put the fish actually in my hand so that it would follow me across the bridge. I started going across the bridge, and mind you, the bridge was made by, um, one of them was a drawbridge, and one of them was an island. Uh, yes, a desert island. And I plopped it down to the water, and it floated, and the, br- the drawbridge sat on top of the island and on top of the other area where the other penguins were waiting. So you think, yeah, this is sturdy enough. Well, guess what? The instant that I stepped on the island, again, this is an island, a land mass. Not like a raft or anything, but a land mass. Okay? I'm holding this fish, I walk across the island, and the killer whale somehow clips through the island and eats my fish. Or, the second time I tried it, I walked across, and then it saw my fish, got hungry, and then saw the penguin, and got hungry, and clipped through the island, and ate the penguin. Now, in a game with well-designed physics, that's not going to happen, but lo and behold, this doesn't have good physics. So... You know, so it's that type of thing where the concept 
is so innovative and so imaginative and you just can't wait to sink your teeth into it. And the first couple of levels you're like, wow, I'm I'm spawning this random shit. Pete had that story about the evil genius. That's great. But then you go into later harder stages and it's just like what happened? This is kind of dumb. So Scribblenauts, um, great idea. I would love to support the smaller developers and innovative ideas, but if you're going to put something like this out, you got to get it right because it, it just, it's just not right. So kudos for the effort, but maybe next time. Or maybe on a more powerful platform that has better physics or whatnot. I don't know. Um, anyway, that's all I've been playing. Uh, it's over half an hour now, so I'm going to stop this recording. Uh, in place of this week's episode for 151 last Sunday on October uh, 17th, I hope this trilobite is good enough. I hope that Al and Pete will have something good for you to hear. Um, but until then, we will be back on October 24th with episode 151. We're going to record that and, uh, send in your mail. Send in mail about, um, what you've been playing. Send in mail about, um, the whole Citizen Kane and Metroid Prime thing because if you listen to episode 150, you're going to hear about that. So send your mail about that. Um, and yeah, uh, we'd like to hear from you. Mailbag at trygames.net. Uh, we're recording. 1024, October 24th at noon. So make sure to get your shit in then. Until then, I am Austin, Mr. Chupan, and I am out. Bye.